Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 66, Rediscovering Creative Identity Through Fine Art with Stephanie Darlene Greenwald. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you've been creating or thinking about it (laughs) or taking a break. But I'm so thankful that you're back to listen to another episode. This uh, This one was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll get to that interview shortly. I'll just touch on some things that I've been working on and some things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. And then we'll jump straight into that interview. So it just figures. I put out the Christmas lights, I turn them on, and it snows overnight. So I don't know where you are in the world, but we had our first snowfall. So I think that by putting in the lights up and turning them on last night, I somehow contributed to that, which is fine. I love the snow. And I'm looking forward to uh, enjoying that and skating on the pond and and everything that comes with that. So in preparation for that, I've been finishing off some commissions. And uh, so that's going well. And I'm going to be selling, if you remember the last few episodes, I've been talking about creating these mushrooms with Mushroom Inc. So I'm putting those up for sale on my shop, online shop later this week as originals. And I'm also selling the prints. So if you want an original piece done on 300 GSM watercolor paper with mushroom ink and being able to tell all your friends you have a a piece painted with mushroom ink, and if you want, you can also go for the smaller prints, which will be uh, uh, much cheaper, but I'm going to be doing a limited edition for those prints as well. So just a heads up, that'll be uh, later this week. Uh, I say this week, it'll be probably around November 19th or so. and. If you order them, I will try and get them to you as quickly as possible, but I'll be at the mercy of whatever shipping system you've chosen. But uh, I will make sure to get those to you as quickly as I can. I've had a lot of thought around how I draw and how I paint and what I'm doing. Am I listening to Clubhouse? Am I listening to music? And I've been listening to a lot of music recently, kind of rediscovering those tunes that I grew up with. And I have a bit of a, um, quite a few playlists. I usually will listen to a whole album. So I said what I would do is take some of the songs and create a playlist within Spotify. I've called it Drawing Inspiration. My podcast is in Spotify, so I thought, why not make a playlist? And so I don't know where this is going to go, but uh, I decided to drop in some of the tunes I listened to. I'm going to add a few more over the week. I don't know how many are in there now, maybe a dozen but I'm going to add more, and uh, if you choose to, check it out. There's nothing too edgy. Uh, I try to kind of keep focused, and I, I, you know, I listen to lo-fi and this kind of stuff as well, but I thought I would just throw in some of the tunes that inspire me, and if you've not heard them before, maybe they'll inspire you to check out the artist, and I've been really enjoying that, hearing other people's music. So if you have a Spotify list that is public and you want to share with me, let me know because I'd love to listen to and check out what you listen to as well. So I thought this would be kind of fun. So you can check it out. The link is in the show notes with everything else. Or you can just search for Drawing Inspiration, and instead of choosing the podcast, choose the playlist. And there we go. So I hope you have fun with that. So I have some exciting news coming. I'm not going to tell you what it is. (laughs) So uh, I hope to announce this in December. I'm kind of excited. Uh, around this bit of news, but I just wanted to let you know that there's something coming in December, something that uh, I've kind of had on my list of achievements that I've wanted to 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 get to, I think, and so I'm kind of excited about this. So I will share that in a future episode. I don't know if it'll be the next one 
or the following episode. But if you follow me on Instagram or follow my uh, blog at mykenley.com, I will probably announce it there first. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned. I'm quite excited about this. The other thing I've been doing a lot lately is playing with Nomad Sculpt. So Nomad Sculpt is an iOS app, so it works on the iPad, that allows you to sculpt in 3D. So you can throw in a sphere and then mutate it into a flower, or you can add you know, petals to that and stem, and you can bring all these objects in. You can kind of mutate them, you can add lighting, and all of that create a fantastic scene, and then you can bring that into Procreate with 5.2. The latest update for Procreate, you can take that 3D object and paint it in Procreate with those brushes we all love. So I thought that was like I thought that was great that Procreate supported that. So now I've been working more on Nomad Sculpt and just getting familiar with that. And um, there was a big update this past week with Nomad Sculpt where it now supports something called UV mapping. So the challenge you had with Nomad Sculpt before is you couldn't go from Nomad to Procreate. You had to go from Nomad store the file on Dropbox, and then open it up with an app like Forger, which allows you, which is another 3D modeling app, which allows you to turn on this UV mapping and then export it again and then import that into Procreate. But now with Nomad Sculpt, you can go directly from Nomad to Procreate, which is fantastic because I've been spending so much time in Nomad. And so I'm looking at this because I love learning. I'm curious I mean, for me, it's like doing paper mache or working with clay back in the day as well. So I can do it digitally on my iPad. So I'm really, I'm having fun with this. But the other kind of reason I'm thinking about doing this is if I'm getting into exploring kind of fantasy characters and things like that, I can start creating those as kind of digital maquettes. Uh, So you remember when we had uh, James Gurney on the podcast, he talked about this idea and he does it quite often where he creates these physical maquettes. So he creates basically these scenes with the characters out of various materials so that he can see how the light falls. And so I've just been looking at Nomad Sculpt because I'm, I am I love this kind of, um, I, I love software and I love learning that I would try doing it Nomad Sculpt and it's been pretty fun so far. So I'm looking at ways to use that to create these digital maquettes so that I can uh, then take a screen capture of that and use that as a basis for a brand new drawing. I won't necessarily import it into Procreate and paint it, but I may use it as my reference image. So I'll be creating a reference image, possibly from some other references, and then drawing from that reference image. So I think it's going to be an interesting way to abstract my ideas and then bring those into something like Procreate where I can just draw or paint or whatever the case, or I would just do it physically with, uh, with ink or with colored pencils. So I'm excited about this. Nomad Sculpt is not that expensive, and if you just want to play around, it's it. There's a learning curve associated with that, and there's some great videos. I will talk more in depth about this in a future episode, but I just wanted to share that. I'm pretty excited, as you can tell, about that. And the thing I still have outstanding is I'm still going to do that pencil case video. I'm still going to do that pencil case video on YouTube, where I'm going to show you what I carry and what I draw with. It's basically the same kit. It's just I choose to you know include my watercolors or not. But I have a drawing kit that covers everything from ink to pencil to uh, watercolor pencil. And uh, that is my kit that I use both at home and, and when I'm out doing plein air stuff. So that video is still coming. So I think that's it for updates. I hope you'll stick around for this full interview. It was so much fun. And I, I tell you, the homework at the end is, is it's going to get your hands dirty, possibly. So check it out.
My guest this week has worked in graphic design for nearly two decades. As an accomplished creator, businesswoman, and single parent, she recently rediscovered her passion for fine art. Her exploration of botanicals and insects through the use of vibrant colors caught my attention. She is equally skilled whether it be with colored pencil and ink or digital drawing on the iPad using Procreate. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Stephanie Darlene Greenwald. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you? (laughs) Good. (laughs) I'm doing great. It's so awesome to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well. I'm so glad that uh, you said yes to coming on. I don't remember. We talked just before I started recording. I don't remember how I found you, if it was through Instagram, through Clubhouse. I don't know, but I was immediately hit by your profile and your images uh, in Instagram and all the work that you've done. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I saw the cicada and it's like, okay, <laughs> I'll start with the cicada and I'll work backwards. <laughs> and I was just blown away with your work. And I thought, you know, I, I've had so many guests that have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. And I thought, and and I've had a few guests on that have had much less than that. And I thought, I, I looked at your 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 posts and uh, your story. And I thought, this is a really interesting story that I think is going to impact so many people as they're on their creative journey, whether they are coming back to art or uh, just starting out, that I think that our conversation will impact these artists tremendously in kind of getting them motivated, making them feel that they are an artist, getting them on their journey. So I thought it was just... I. I there's something about this, and I feel like this is going to be a fantastic interview, so I really wanted to have you come on, and I'm so glad you said yes, because I think this is your first <laughs> podcast interview, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I've had, um, I think, probably a dozen guests. This has been their first uh, podcast interview, so. But it's definitely, yeah, bucket list, so check. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm going to kind of start where I always start, and that is understanding your journey, where you came from. And I think that plays heavily into where you are today when we talk about the, kind of the fine art that you're doing now, and, and which is different than how you started out. So maybe, can you talk about, like, as, as a child, was was art going to be your journey? Was it something that you were enamored with as a kid, um, you know, beyond us drawing and coloring when we're quite young? Does, is it... Was it set for you? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. From day one. Yeah. And a lot has to do with my mom telling me, <laughs> I think. I, uh, yeah, I've always loved art, making things, making things, anything. And from a young age, I was cutting or drawing or pasting. You know, my mom was always my biggest cheerleader, encouraged me. I was always the artist. Uh, yeah. So I spent a lot of my childhood, um, you know, watching Bob Ross. Uh, there were a bunch of other shows on PBS too. I can't remember the names. I had mm-hmm. the John Nagy charcoal and drawing kit, okay. which had a book on how to like, you know, draw 3D forms with shade and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I devoured that and I'd go to the library and get every book out about drawing and art. That was my hobby, pretty much making things, uh, drawing all the time. And I'm a, um, I have Twitter sisters, but they moved, they're much older. So they were out of the house by the time I was, I don't know, eight or nine, I guess. So it was just me and my mom, single mom. You know, we had cable, but there wasn't all the fun stuff to do that the kids have these days. So I would draw all the time. And my mom would always try to throw stuff away, 
random things like cardboard. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can make something out of that. You got to save that. You got to save that little piece of tool or whatever it is. Um, and I would, and I would, I would actually make things from it. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's in my blood. <laughs> so what you were playing with, uh, with, with drawing and, and charcoal and that, were you like, did you get into crafting like in sculpture and stuff as well? Or was it mostly like, was it painting and drawing that you were pulled to? Mostly 2D stuff. 3D is a uh, reach for me. It still is mostly two dimensional stuff. And then I would even do like cross stitch and things like that. But um, no, mostly painting, cutting, pasting, drawing. Drawing is my first love. Was there a subject matter you really enjoyed? Of what to draw? Yeah, what to draw, what to paint? Was yeah. it? Oh, and I took lots of photographs too. I think just things around the house, still lifes I would do, I guess, when I was younger. And then when I got older, I would... Um, because I remember when I was trying to figure out what inspired me, what subject matters, I know I remember uh, back in high school, like a boyfriend gave me a rose and I didn't want it. I was afraid it was going to die soon. So I drew a picture of it. So I had a picture. So it makes it last longer. And I think that has inspired what I do now. You know, all the things I draw, draw are pretty organic and living mm-hmm. things. And when you draw realistically and you're studying something so intensely, you really kind of create this bond with the subject matter. And, you know, all every little details and nuances. So almost every single thing has a very unique identity and soul to it. So I think that's, that's kind of what's been inspiring me for decades. Yeah, I can see that, um, you know, the level of detail in your botanical work is just, it's just mind blowing. I mean, having drawn like echinacea and uh, some of these flowers before, I know what's involved and it's, I mean, the detail is really just restricted on, on how well you can see. Like, you can get as deep as you want. <laughs> Which is funny how well I can see. I just got my first pair of glasses ever, and it's really, really bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> I just upgraded mine, and now I can get a little bit more magnification, so I worry that this is going to add 20 or 30% more time to the detail work I do, because now I can see more of it. It's great that you had a parent that was encouraging this, because I think so many mm-hmm. artists don't have that opportunity, whether it for whatever reason, that they don't have that that um, support system in place. And for so many of us, we come back to it later in life because we find it elsewhere or we rediscover it, right? And I think that's great that you had someone cheering you on through all of that. Did that bring you into like high school, university? Was this then your path? Did you go with a fine arts degree or how did you mm-hmm. evolve from there? Yes. I mean, yeah. So um, yeah, middle school, high school, I was the art kid. I was voted most artistic. Uh, with a friend, uh, Craig, who also just rediscovered his love of painting, and I'm so happy for him as well. Um, And he's an art teacher back in our hometown. But um, yeah, and then I went on to study fine arts. I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts. However, I didn't want to go to an art school, because being a child of a single parent, I knew I needed a career. I wanted a well-rounded education, have backup plans just in case. I I knew I knew I wanted to go on art, but I didn't really understand what kind of careers there were in art. And I just kind of felt like a liberal arts college would be better for me. Um, So I went to a small college and I did get a fine arts degree. However, like, you know, when you're that young, you really don't know how many options there are in the art field. So there wasn't anything for illustration except scientific illustration. And back then that didn't really 
interest me that much. My roommate, however, that was her major. And when she sees my artwork now, she's like, wait a minute, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Because <laughs> back in college, you know, I really got, I actually got really much looser in my work, more expressive. Um, but I still was pretty realistic as well. Figure drawing was a huge favorite of mine. Um, and I did a lot of painting classes. But, you know, there was also graphic design. And this was the, what, mid-90s. So graphic design was really becoming a hot career. The Macintoshes were out. The Adobe software was out. Well, actually, we had Quark then. I don't know if you've heard of Quark, which mm -hmm. was the InDesign. Yeah. Um, but Illustrator, I started using Illustrator really early. A friend of mine had a, a family friend had a um, Mac SE, which is a black and white Macintosh computer and had a version of Adobe Illustrator 88. So I started using vectors when I was in like middle school or high school. And I loved it. And I love computers. I'm a tech geek. Um, I'm not as savvy as I used to be because it's really hard to keep up with everything. But the graphic design program was thrilling to me too. You know, I mean, I love everything with color, shape, form, composition, whatever. And that's what that was. And I could actually have a real career, have a paycheck, benefits, whatnot. So that was it. I was like, I'm going to do this. You know, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't look back for a long time. I am looking back now, but I'm realizing um, I really miss the rest of it. I miss the fine arts. Right. And that was a big part of me, a part of my identity that I just completely let go and didn't realize how much joy it brought me and how much confidence it brought me. So do you regret doing the graphic design? No, not at all. Okay. Nope. And, and do you still do it? I do every day. <laughs> That's my <laughs> bread and butter. Yeah. I mean, I, now I'm a single mom um, and I've worked for myself. Uh, I worked first, I worked in a corporation in their in-house marketing and communications department for about six years. And I worked up for my junior designer, senior designer. But when I was and the junior designer, I had a boss who started his own design business. And I got so excited about that. I said, like, ooh, ooh, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this. And I got really excited about it. And, you know, I worked my way up in that corporate field. And I got quite boring. And the company was being sold. So I took the opportunity, because I knew we were going to be laid off, use my severance, and go off on my own. Because that was really the only thing that excited me. What I didn't like about working in corporate as a graphic designer is a lot of the people I was working for were in-house and they came to me with a project because they were told they needed it. They weren't really passionate about it. And I wanted to work for people who cared about what they did, cared about the company or organization or, or service or whatever they provided. Um, so that's why I went off on my own. And I've been doing that since 2003. So I've been working from home as a graphic designer as my full-time income uh, since then. So you've, you come from graphic design and you ran that as a business. Was that something you learned as part of your degree, or is that something you had to develop over time? I did not learn it as my degree. I totally fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> um, but I guess, I don't know, and I never thought I would ever work for myself, ever. But I don't know, there's something about it that was really, really appealing. And I you know, thought, well, I'll give it a shot and see if it works. And it worked. And yeah, there's been times where it's gotten slow, but I found a way out. I really learned about business as I went along. I immediately joined networking groups. Um, and a lot of them were very helpful. You know, I connected with all the professionals that I had contact with in my corporate life. And also the gentleman that I used to work for kind of took me under his wing and kind of 
helped me along too. I mean, it's really just about relationship building. I reached out to, again, the people that I worked with before the company dissolved. It was government contracting company, but my former boss was on the board of a bunch of nonprofits. So when I was working in the corporation, I would do the design work because she offered it pro bono for these organizations. So once I left that company, I contacted those organizations and said, hey, we, you know, we love working together. I'm on my own now. Would you want to hire me to do the work? And some of them did. One of those clients I still have. I've designed their end report since I think 1997. Wow. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's about relationships. It's just about meeting new people and just delivering what you say you're going to deliver. And I was always surprised when I would go to these networking events. I did not have a portfolio with me. There were no smartphones. I didn't carry anything with me. I just went with a business card. And they're like, well, I'll contact you. I'd like you to do this brochure for us. I'm like, but you haven't seen my work yet. Don't you want to see if I'm any good? And, like, and it almost seemed like it didn't matter. It's more about how you respond to them, how you understand them, and how you communicate. Interesting. And that's kind of what's gotten me through. And I think that has a lot, I think that's a lot the same in, in the art world as well when you're trying to get opportunities. Exactly. And, and I, so I'm, I was going to ask you this later, but maybe I'll slot it in now. And that is, what advice would you give to an artist who's starting out, who maybe has just finished their fine arts degree, and maybe they're not going to graphic design, maybe they want to go into fine arts and producing their materials. What advice would you give them from a business perspective? I mean, you talked about the idea of, of networking groups. Are there any other tips that you would offer somebody that would help them learn or give them an avenue or give them a tip? that uh, they don't provide you as part of a degree program? I definitely think try to find clarity in what it is you want to do with the artwork, because again, there are many avenues, and then find someone who's doing it. I mean, what's really amazing about social media and podcasts right now is that we have access to so many professionals and so many people all over the world, and then you can message them from your phone. And, you know, if you're genuine and authentic, they may get back to you, and you can ask them questions. You know, find a mentor, find someone, or even if they don't get back to you, watch what they do, see how they, you know, how they've grown and try to take some of those steps and see, you know, if it works for you. I mean, I think that all the opportunities I've had in the past couple of years is because I figured out that I wanted something in art, right? I wanted to do something with my art. I didn't know what it was. So I kept my eyes open. What are people doing? What are, what is, what's illustrating like these days? What's, what's the gallery space like now? And I was really surprised because I was totally out of touch. I was in my little bubble. <laughs> I was in my little family bubble. in my graphic design bubble. I had no idea what was going on. And I was so surprised to, to, you know, to connect with these podcasts and some of these you know, young women artists who were so vulnerable and authentic and like willing to share their knowledge and non-competitive which I actually found surprising too when I was networking when I started my graphic design business. I'm, I'm always, I don't know why, I'm always so surprised. People really want to help other people. They, so I really think aligning yourself with like-minded individuals kind of help you and you can get some opportunities. So I, I watched what was going on. If you're, oh, I really like what that person's doing. How do I learn how to do that? What do I do? Where do I go? What class do I need to take? Where do I meet these people? What are they doing? And then you try to connect with them. I mean, I, you know, I, I met, <laughs> again, podcast helped a lot. And then I was watching an Instagram live by a woman who lives near my hometown, oil painter. 
I haven't oil, had an oil painted in 20 years. And then she decided to offer her first oil painting workshop. So I went to my hometown and I went to it. And that day when I went there and I hit that palette knife to the glass palette, oh my God. <laughs> I was just like, why have I not done this? And I just mixed the paint forever. <laughs> I just wanted to mix the paint. It just felt so good. It was so beautiful. And it just, you know, it was amazing. I hadn't been with other people and created artwork in person for decades. I, I went to like a couple. We, I live in an area where there is a lot of great, amazing classes. I went to a couple community classes here and there. But I guess I wasn't ready. I didn't have that moment. But this this little workshop, and then I was talking to other women there. The woman's like, oh, yeah, why well, display at this art show and stuff? And I'm like, art show? I always go to art shows. I always go to art shows. I could be in an art show. It was like the biggest awful <laughs> moment I've ever had. I'm like, wait a minute. I could actually do that. I think I'm good enough. I just need to, like, dust everything off and practice. I could do that. You know, and it just, like, one thing led to another. And then, you know, so I got back into oil painting and drawing. And then people were like, why would I buy your drawings? I was like, well... I've never sold a drawing. I've always kept everything to myself. I thought, well, maybe I make prints. I'll make them into note cards. I'm going to be in a local little craft show. They sold like hotcakes. I was like, what? Really? This is, okay, I'm on to something here. <laughs> you know, like, I was really surprised. I mean, they're flowers. A lot of people like flowers and insects. Mm-hmm. Insects are big too. And, um, and then, you know, I learned about art licensing. Well, what's that? Well, it's a lot of more decorative stuff. It's not illustrations that you know you're telling a story necessarily but you want to create an emotion or evoke a feeling and this artwork's put on products and beautiful things which is amazing to have it in your house you know wear it on your body whatnot so it's just you know I just so then I learn more about that and I get to people with that and then I'm in you know I'm on social media or I connect to these membership groups I would connect to them to any there's a lot of groups out there memberships patreon all kinds of things I mean they these kids know. These kids that are graduating know. They know where to find people. Find your people. Find your people wherever they are and, you know, soak in as much as you can. And do what feels really good and brings you lots of energy. I mean, I haven't felt like myself like this forever. I and mean, I just have so much joy and energy that I haven't had in a very long time. So how long ago did you make that switch realize, wow, <laughs> I'm going to move to fine art? Um, it was 2018. Okay. It was the 100 day project. So I was itching to draw again. And, you know, I saw people drawing in these bullet journals that became big. And my mom was doing the coloring books. And I'd sit down and color with her. I'm like, well, I want to draw this before because I would shade. I mean, I wouldn't just color. I was shading with the colored pencils and blending. Of course. But I want to draw the flower <laughs> before I do this. And I just started to get the itch. And I was one, late, one night just scrolling on Instagram because I started following all this art stuff. I learned about the 100-day project. Are you familiar with that? Maybe explain it for the listener. Okay. Um, so the 100-day project, uh, This apparently I think it started as a, a, a college professor's project. And the woman, I think, didn't get into that class or into that college. This illustrator, and I can't remember her name, but she and another woman run it now. And she said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So basically what it is, it's like a community or worldwide project. And basically, you decide whatever you what you want to do, anything you want to do creatively, writing, songwriting, anything. 100 days, do it for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. It's about, it's really about the process. And then it's also about the sharing. So you do whatever it is, and then you post it to Instagram with a hashtag. You do it again, you do it again, you do it again. It can be whatever you want. 
And then if you can make a plan and then you can change your plan. Because once you start doing something for 30, 40 days, something happens. It gets really boring or you discover something wonderful and you go a different way or you change your path or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I started doing that and I started sharing my little drawings, I started with just graphite drawings, charcoal. The reaction I got surprised me. My adult friends here, when I graduated college, I was in Pennsylvania. I immediately moved down to Virginia, outside of D.C., got a whole new set of friends, <laughs> and had my graphic design career. So the people in my adult life never saw me draw or paint. So all my childhood friends are like, wow, I'm so glad you're doing that again. All my adult friends are like, wait, you can draw? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. And I was right. really surprised because that was always what a, how I think of myself as an artist. But I hadn't done it for so long. And I drew a couple little things for my kid here and there. A fire truck or an owl, but it was never anything like I do now. So that surprised me. The other surprise was how much I enjoyed it. How much I would get lost in it. How therapeutic and meditative it is. You know, it's a good way to just process everything. And again, it's just that connection with whatever you're working on, everything else just melts into the background. Mm-hmm. Time gets lost. And then the last thing that really surprised me was that um, my, some of my friends would come forward and go, you're really inspiring me. I want to start doing photography again. I want to start doing this again. Doing that again. I'm like, really? That? And they, they told me they would look forward to my next day post. But then I felt pressure. <laughs> <to do it. laughs> right. But it was also good because, you know, having that, having that accountability does help you to keep going. So yes, yeah, so I kept going, and and then once I went to that painting class and started doing the artwork, and I started noticing how excited I would get, and how um, I guess I'd say hyper. I guess I start talking really fast and excitedly, and I feel like my five year old self again, just talking about art supplies and art this and art that, and it's just. It's just something I've missed so much. And, you know, I had felt so lost for so long, you know, being a single mom for so long. (laughs) And, you know, once your kid doesn't need you every day, every single second of the day, you start to think, oh, what do I do with my time? What else do I do besides work? And it really, and I, and I really recognized something was missing. And I thought, well, I guess I just really need to meet somebody new. Well, that wasn't it. Well, I'm going to volunteer at the animal shelter. Well, that was great. That was really great and fulfilling. I'm going to sell jewelry. Well, that was fun. And then, you know, and when I got back into the art, I just couldn't believe it took me so long to figure it out, you know. And then, yeah. And then my mom's friend, my mom's 81. I'm visiting my mom and she comes in and goes, how's your love life? I was like, yeah, no, there's no love life. <laughs> but then after she left, I said, Mom, actually, I do have a love life. I feel like I've fallen. I did. I did. I felt like I had fallen in love all over again. It's all I could think about. All these things, all these possibilities that I could do. Because, you know, after being in the same career for 20 years and not having a spouse and having your kid growing up and getting really close to being an adult and flying the nest, I, I just couldn't see what I do for the next 20 years and doing the same thing where I do enjoy graphic design very much I do find it fulfilling pretty fulfilling and I think that's why it took me so long to recognize what else was missing because it is a very it's very creative when I finally realized that was what was missing it was the biggest aha moment and now like I have so much to look forward to and I have so many options whereas before I just thought well I don't know what I'm gonna do (laughs) what I'm gonna do next 
don't yeah, know. It, you're not thinking creatively. You're thinking, who do I reach out to for new business when you're in graphic design versus what am I going to create today? And I think that's, people always talk about these projects, these passion projects, that even if in, in graphic design or if you're getting into graphic design, is design something for yourself first, right? Like design your own your own letterhead, design a, a fictitious, you know, a, a poster for a movie, um, like d- do these passion projects and they will lead you somewhere. And I'm so glad that you found art again in the way that, you know, not the graphic design isn't, but that you found something that's genuinely creative that kind of connects into your soul. And it sounds like that with, you know, obviously starting in, in graphite and, and charcoal, you moved into what mediums? Like, what did you end up settling in after a hundred days? Was it were you into oils yeah. or were you, like what what became your medium of choice near the end of that process? I ended up establishing a look with colored pencil and ink. So I started doing ink drawings, and then I added the colored pencil to it. So I have a whole collection of pen and ink and colored pencil drawings. Colored pencils were also one of my first loves because. You know, it's easy. It's not messy. They're always around. Um, So I feel very confident using them. So that I fell into doing that. And then most recently, I've gotten into Procreate. But before we move on, I also wanted to mention that I I do do a lot of graphic design passion projects and I always have. Again, like I think, I mean, it's still, it's not the same, but it's the same. You're still working with color and imagery and composition. Mm -hmm. Um, I constantly am designing. And at first, I wanted to keep my graphic design and my fine artwork completely separate. No overlap, absolutely not. I don't even want to deal with topography and my artwork, right? But once I started getting into learning about art licensing, I had to connect the two. And I didn't know how. Or I didn't even know if I knew I had to do it until I did it, actually. I didn't know how to take my artwork to make it into more of a commercial field for art licensing, like for product design, for a pillow or for what else did we do? Mugs and things like that. But when I met with a product developer and she saw my portfolio, which I designed (laughs) graphic design, I used my artwork. I put my artwork in a layout with type describing what it was. Mm-hmm. And then overlaid some of the other artwork and whatnot. The way I arranged it was how I combined my graphic design and, and my fine artwork, and it worked. And that's how I'm moving forward now with the art licensing. Like I, I was so resistant to putting on my graphic designer hat when I was doing my artwork, but it actually is what I think is taking my artwork to the to the next level career wise. Yeah, when I downloaded your portfolio from your website. Uh, I was immediately struck by like, wow, wow on all edges, right? Like the the layout, which is the graphic design and the content mm-hmm. was like, this is just beautiful. Um, so I would suggest if, you know, the person listening to this, if you're thinking about how do I organize a portfolio that that, that creates some some awe, uh, go check out your portfolio. Like it's, it's amazing, Stephanie, that, uh, that download. And so I, I'm going to link directly to that in the show notes. Uh, just so that people can get a look at that, because that's that's how we have to sell ourselves is not just the layout but the content. And uh, you could send, you know, attachments of three photos or something of of your work to somebody, and that's not going to go to the links that yours would in kind of selling that. So, I think that's cool to see. Thank you. And it was it was a mind shift, and I had to let go. I had to let go and embrace both sides of myself. I guess that's cool that uh, they're coming together, and you've you're at peace 
<laughs> with both of those living together. Do you still think this could be a logical pathway for people who are coming out with a fine arts degree? That graphic design becomes the way to earn money quickly? Not quickly, to earn money versus going into fine arts. Uh, it's definitely a viable career, for sure. I mean, like I said, it seems to be these days, fine artists are looked at as business owners. I mean, but there's so many different avenues. Graphic design, going into graphic design would allow you either to get and be an employee with a company or an organization where you get an actual paycheck every week. Or you could be a freelancer so that you can choose who and when, who to work for and when to work to a certain extent, of course, while having more time to pursue your fine art. So there are a lot of advantages to it. I mean, it depends what whoever um, and whatever they, you know, what their main goal is. Yeah, and I think to your point, like you talked about going to that painting workshop that you had attended. And I had a similar experience going to a drawing workshop. And I think, you know, even though you've got a a fine arts degree and people may come out and I'm not sure that there's a level of arrogance with fine arts people that is any different than any other program, but some people may come out thinking, I know it, I got it. (laughs) But I think being able to just go to a workshop or go to one of these uh, opportunities For me, when I went to this drawing workshop, which was three days, I came out of it feeling I knew my stuff, I knew where I could improve, but now I know artists that do the same thing, that I could talk to, that I connect with, and I'm still talking to those people, you know, and this has been a few years now. So I I think that we both did that. (laughs) And I would encourage other people to take that opportunity. It's, it's, It's always about, you know, always continuing to learn and be curious, but it's it's also about the networking is incredible. Like that's why Clubhouse is doing so well. That's why when you take the good parts of Instagram, that that works for us as well. Everything you've said is just, it's on point. If, if you're looking at trying to get into the business, whether it's graphic design or fine art, I, I think the recipe is fairly similar. I wanted to ask you, you talk about the ink and the colored pencil. It, are you still doing that? Are you still working with ink and color pencil? Because I love that. <laughs> and I'm wondering about, yeah, and just from a technical perspective, what color pencil did you sell it on, settle on? Like what manufacturer, mm. what type did you end up using when you were doing all of that? Because I've seen that work and it's incredible. So I'm just curious. I was, I knew you were going to ask that question. I meant to look it up. So when I started, I dug out my pencils, my color pencils from high school. And they were, and they don't make them anymore. They just said design on them. <sighs> I remember Marissa Huber posted them one time because she gave them to her son, which I had done as well. I was like, I have those pencils too. They were the best pencils ever because they're nice and soft. I like the soft ones. They're very rich. Um, and I couldn't find them again. I forgot the color. I can't remember the name of them. But um, but I lost so many. So I needed to buy new ones. So I set it on Carindosh. Mm-hmm. I think it's Luminous. Luminous. Or Luminous. Yeah. 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 So I settled on those. Yeah. And... Um, I would use micron pens and I really like working on textured paper, like watercolor paper, because I really like the texture a lot, but the pens really drag, it really tears up the pen and wears out. But, um, so that was challenging and working in pen and ink is, was always challenging every time I do, because I've always liked uh, mediums where you can subtract and add and subtract and add. And when it's pen, you can't. 
So if you make a mistake, then I just make it darker. <laughs> so a lot of <laughs> things got pretty dark. Um, so it was a challenge, a challenge every single time. And it still kind of is. Um, so I didn't love it, but I loved the results. So I just kept pushing through. And I haven't done one by hand for a long time, but I do want to add to my bird collection. So I might start doing a little bit more by hand and, and, and make sure I can still, still, um, create something that, that goes along with it, that looks just as good or enough, not better. So it's been about a year now since I've picked up the micron pen. Well, you, you do realize that by saying this on the podcast, you're holding yourself accountable, right? <laughs> I know, I know, We're going to be I know, watching your I stories know. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I bought I bought an iPad and thought, well, this will be great. I can do the ink work on, um, you know, and procreate with the with the pencil, and I can and I have, but I really have a hard time finding a consistent weight. Like I constantly, like I get so sucked into my drawing, I really get into flow, and it's hard for me. Just because, you know, it's so um, uh, sensitive to what point size you pick. Right. And I'll just start doing it. And then I realize, oh, that's way, like I've zoomed in too much and it's way too fine or it's way too thick or whatever. And it was really hard for me to keep consistent with that. And it just didn't quite look right. Just never could quite get it like my hand done drawings were. So but I, so I might keep experimenting with that as well. So let's, let's dive into that because when I, uh, like when I look at your work, I'm thinking that's beautiful, and then I I didn't honestly realize that it was done in Procreate. And <laughs> so, when did you transition to the iPad? Did you go to the Wacom first? Like no. straight to iPad? I didn't even I didn't even know those what those were. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, like I didn't like I. That's what I mean. Like when I started learning and getting in touch with other illustrators, I'm like, wait, what? What is a Cintiq? Like, what are these things? I went straight to the iPad because of the pencil. Well, I guess the Cintiq has one too. I don't, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I went straight. I've always been an Apple, total Apple geek. Um, so I always, and you know, having my own business, I can write off all the new toys. <laughs> so, right. all, so I always have, I almost, almost always have the latest, um, you know, Mac and iPad and phone and whatnot. So um, yeah, so I went straight to that. And how, how long ago did you start with Procreate? So I think it was, it was right before the pandemic. So I guess it was that Christmas before the end of the year, before the end of the year. So I could put in the budget <laughs> as an expense. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was afraid to do it. I was afraid to touch it. And I'm not sure why. Because even my son's like, I downloaded it for you. Are you going to use it? And I was like, I, I, yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, and then either like, I don't, not that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good enough, but like, that's all I would do. And it pretty much is now all I, all I do. But I don't, I don't know. It just made me nervous for some reason. I was just afraid to try it for a couple months. But Were you worried you were going to love it more than working analog? That was part of it, I guess. Yeah. And then just, I don't know. I don't know. It was really, I don't know. It was weird. I, don't, I don't, can't put my finger on it. Um, but then, yeah, during the pandemic, I was like, all right, <laughs> do this. <laughs> Since the start of the pandemic, have you been almost always in procreate then have you do you still yeah. dabble with it? okay <laughs> i well oh, well actually a lot of your pencil drawings again pencil pencil is again true love because that's what you do when you're a kid that's always there it's always handy so that's you know i feel both skilled with that and most comfortable with a pencil or color pencils i have done one i think i started magnolia drawing i did a pencil drawing but i didn't finish it 
and again, it was kind of like, you know what? I felt like I was doing things to sell or to put my portfolio and I wanted to just do something for fun that I wanted. And I started doing that. And then I really found a lot of joy in not finishing it as well. You know, it's like, eh, I don't have to, <laughs> you know, nice. this isn't for anything that has to be done. Yeah. I think that, uh, it's a special, I've got a few of those and it's not like, as you say, to stop a drawing that's going well. It's not you stop mm-hmm. because it's like, ah, oh, I just can't figure this out. It's like, you know what? This this piece has given me everything I need right now. I'm just going to leave it alone. And to be able to walk away from that, I think, is an achievement as an artist, being able to walk away from something that's unfinished and think, you know what? I'm going to move on to the next thing is yeah. uh, is pretty special. That's cool. But I, And I do miss, I do I feel guilty that I haven't picked up my oils again. It's been over a year. But, you know, again, one of my challenges is prioritizing and finding the time. Because yeah, when I get into something, I get into something. And then it takes away from something else. So, I don't know. But I'm really itching to get at my oils again. But I know that wouldn't, like, it would just be for me. It's not something I'd be confident enough to sell or whatever. Right. Um, but it's something I, I miss and want to do again soon. We'll be anxious to see that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so... You've been using Procreate. Um, maybe let's talk about that a little bit. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think we had chatted, I think, on Clubhouse. And I think you were talking about your canvas size you usually go with and things like that. So mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about the technical bits around using Procreate. And um, I think the last time we chatted, you hadn't upgraded to 5.2. And I don't know if you have at this point and whether we talk about that. But maybe you can talk about, you know, when you approach something in Procreate... Is there a default canvas size that you're considerate about when you're when you're doing this? Do you use a lot of ref- reference photos? Like, what's your process in creating in Procreate? When I started Procreate, I did have to take like a small tutorial to figure out how to use it because I don't think it's very intuitive. Um, it's not like the Adobe products I'm used to, and I've actually avoided learning too much. I wanted to keep it as analog as possible, looking analog as possible. And not take too many shortcuts when I'm just first doing it. And I've also, I've always been a proponent of trying to figure things out on my own. And figure out a way that works for me, even though it may not be the right way. So I don't know a lot of the fancy stuff. <laughs> and I'm always blown away when someone shows me it. Like there's a, a way to like, when you draw something, it'll mirror image on the other side. Stuff like that. But I don't want to do that for these illustrations that I'm doing now. Um, and I didn't even know you could put text. In. I, like, there are little things here and there. And now that I've played with it enough and worked with it enough, I think I'd be okay learning more tips and, and, and tricks. But my, as far as my process is concerned, so coming from a graphic design background, my first question is, well, what resolution should this be? <laughs> like, right. I don't want to spend 20 hours on a drawing and then find out when I print it out, it can only be produced at two inches wide, you know? So that was like a big hang up. So I learned how to, you know, do like a nice high resolution. Because again, if it comes out really well, I want to be able to like print it out. Like the, the well, they, they can't see this, but I have a piece behind me. Mm-hmm. You know, I so my series of florals that I've been doing, I make them as big as I possibly can on the canvas. So, and apparently I do need to upgrade my iPad. So I think this is, I think you told, it's a 2019 model, maybe. I think that's an 11 inch by 11 inch canvas that's, 600 dpi which means that i can do you know a 21 inch by 21 inch print at high resolution 
um, which I've had people surprised when I look at it, they go, they put their nose right up to it and they go, wow, I don't see any pixels. It's like, no, you won't because I created it, at, you know, <laughs> at print resolution. Cause I made sure I did. Cause if I wanted to make it really large, it would still be crystal clear in those details. And I was, I was so happy when I, when I got my first print, cause I sent it out to print and had it professionally printed. And it was just the details are stunning. And the color was stunning. So a lot of times you really only see it on your iPad. You don't, a lot of people don't print their things or they just share on, you know, on social media or online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really, I was really pleased with how it actually can produce gorgeous artwork on, you know, on real 3D or 2D material that you can hold. Would you consider yourself being fairly good because you've worked in graphic design in evaluating the prints as they come back to you to say, this is a good printer. This oh, isn't. yeah. Yeah, I, know, I can tell. <laughs> and is when you when you get print stuff digitally, are you doing it on a type of paper, like gloss versus semi-gloss, or do you vary the types of paper, the types of finishes that you're using? Yeah, and it matters. Um, so the, well, even my hand-drawn drawings, the pencil and ink, pencil, colored pencil and ink drawings, I had reproduced professionally. Um, and I had them produced on a paper with a texture, like I originally drew them. Mm-hmm. And it, I like that. Um, but sometimes if you have a lot of ink coverage and you print it on textured paper, it might, the color doesn't quite look as good. Um, so um, those larger prints are what are called clay prints, which is basically just archival inkjet ink. Mm-hmm. And the paper is 100% cotton rag. It's gorgeous. Um, it's bright white. And then when I got these prints back, the ones that are unframed, I just, I mean, it just felt like velvet. It was, it was amazing. It felt really wonderful. And the colors really pop. Um, when I print my other cards, sometimes again, like if it's heavy in coverage, I'll do it on a smooth mat just because I don't, I'm afraid the ink might not lay down and all those little nooks and crannies. It does change the way that the prints look, the kind of paper that you choose. And definitely printing at home, you have to have quality paper. Uh, if you want a really clean print. Yeah, I uh, I upgraded my printer and, and paper a little while ago, and it was well worth it. In So maybe we'll just continue on the printing. We'll come back to Procreate. Um, are you getting your prints done? Are you doing them yourself? Are you doing it locally? Are you doing it online? Like for someone considering getting their work printed, how are you doing it? Yeah. So I the ones I sell, I I send to an online service. So they, they print them. Um, and their customer service is pretty great and their quality is pretty great. And when it's not, you tell them and they'll redo it for you. <laughs> cause awesome. the one, the, the print behind me, when I first got it, I asked them to, cause it was going to be in a show and I asked them to print it and frame it right away. Cause I didn't want to, I just wanted it done and it came back and it's full ink coverage, but in the very middle must've gotten scratched or something. It was just a little tiny white piece of paper showing through. You can't, that's why it's in my, in my house, because that one I ended up getting for free. Cause I was like, I can't put this in a gallery. I can't sell this because it's at eye level. So when someone walks up to it, they see it. You can't mm-hmm. see it when it's in the room. We don't really see it if you're just sitting here, but I couldn't, I couldn't spend all that money and then have it in the gallery. And that, the piece did, that was my first uh, big piece that sold too. I was really happy that it sold and when it was in the gallery. Um, and then I do some small things from home, but when I, when I, you know, when I'm doing note cards, that's a, that's a lot of work to fold and cut and print and paper jam and ink. And it's a lot of work, but I do do um, a small, really small 
two by three and what is it three by three prints that I have framed in little mini frames that I sell at art fairs that sell really well. I just use really high quality Epson matte paper and um, they come out beautifully. But it's more of a time thing, again, and hassle thing I send it out. And it really, when you spend money on good paper, it's expensive. It's, you're not really saving a lot by doing it at home versus sending it out. Right. And then yeah, once you get a solution in place. Right. You're, you're not doing with... the labor. Right. Yeah, that's cool. So when you're doing works in Procreate, are you, uh, are there a couple of brushes you rely on? Do you do a sketch first and then come over it with a different layer? Like, I, I'm curious because you're coming from a graphic design background, somebody who probably loves layers in Photoshop and Illustrator yeah. and leverages them all the time. How are you approaching Procreate? Do you have multiple layers? Do you have two? <laughs> How does that work for you? Yeah, it's funny. And I thought Procreate would be much easier coming from graphic design background. But again, it's just set up a little differently. I don't use a lot of layers. <laughs> um, I start sketching on the iPad. Some people might bring in a sketch and then go over it. Mm -hmm. I sketch on the iPad and they have a feature where you can show a reference photo on the screen at the same time that you're sketching, which I didn't realize for about a year, I think. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Um, I would have it on my phone beside me or something. And I start with a sketch. So that's a layer. And then I quickly realized that, and people probably have noticed this too, that um, that white screen glaring at you hurts your eyes a lot. So I often flood the background with a darker color, and mm -hmm. that's what. And that, and and also again, you know, I had just come from doing many, many florals and insects and animals on a white background. So I decided to go flip it and go to all these nice full color dark backgrounds, um, and you know, procreate kind of the technical aspect kind of encouraged that too. Cause again, it's hard to see with that white glaring up at you. So I do the sketch and that's on a layer. Once I have the, the sketch down, I decrease the transparency of the sketch. Then um, I've kind of changed the way I, I do my process. I used to kind of, well, and I, and it, I don't know, I haven't really settled on anything. I used to flood the, whatever it is, the flower, let's say with color. And, or like splotches of color, like here it's really dark blue and here it's really purple, just so I can get the that medium tone down, even right. though I might have a background, just to get that medium tone down. And then I would go in, because when I work with colored pencils, first you put down the lights and then you put, like I would work the whole drawing at once. And that's another thing I wanted to point out. When I was in college, we only had, it was a very small school. We only had a few art teachers and they told us a certain way how to do things. And when I've learned that you don't have to do those things as an adult, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was so liberating. <laughs> <laughs> so liberating. <laughs> it was taboo to work from my phone. It was taboo to use a grid. I still can't use a grid. That just bothers me. But um, but anyway, it's really funny. So um, a lot of times I would work the whole piece at once. So like all the lights and then all this color and then all that color. And it would kind of like um, organically grow from like the base forward. I don't know how to say like, you know, bottom forward. But in Procreate, I've, I've kind of had more fun just kind of like, starting with one petal or one little, you know, piece of the flower and fully rendering it and that is kind of moving to the right or to the left. That's kind of fun too. Um, you know, so working all the, you know, putting in all the values and all the colors and all the detail. But I do think, I think I like, you know, kind of flooding it with some tone and then gradually building up the value. That feels a little more natural to me. Build up the value, build up the contrast, then add in the details. And, and when you're adding the color, is there a brush that you're using? Are you using an airbrush or is there another brush that you're using? No. 
So again, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible because again, coming from a graphic design background, I know when you have too many filters and too many brushes and you use them all, it looks really bad. <laughs> it's important to stick with the basics and let the creativity come out of what you're in what you're creating, not with the materials you're using necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so I use the 6B pencil pretty much exclusively. And then, um, which is standard, I downloaded brushes, but I honestly don't know how to install them. And, <laughs> and again, I'm supposed to be techie. <laughs> but um, I, uh, and then I, I pick a couple different pens. I Jaliski Ink is one, I think. And I don't remember, fine tip, a couple of the basics. And, I, and I'm still kind of struggling trying to find the right pen for like the ink lines. I'm really not sure. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I like the Micron where it's just one thickness. Mm -hmm. But then it's fun with the ones that kind of taper at the end too. But that was never really my style. So I'm still kind of playing around with that. Yeah, it's it's hard. I've I've downloaded so many free and I've purchased a bunch of brushes. And I will come back to them here and there. But uh, it's it's hard. And uh but it, that's that's what's you know that's the fun part of of using Procreate is that you have that flexibility to come in with this that and when they changed their brush studio and, and I think it was five point oh uh, when they changed the brush studio it made it uh, so much I found nicer with some of the brushes and I'm wondering if you know a lot of people go on about Adobe Fresco and how great that is with the watercolor brushes and then I've played with it a little bit have you ever thought about using Fresco instead of Procreate? I um I haven't played around with too many programs and that's one of the things I I admire about you because again like I get distracted so easily so I have to be careful and then when I get into something I won't let it go either so um yeah I haven't done too much experimenting I kind of I'm kind of into what I'm doing now right you know I like to like um, master it I guess I enjoy it so. Yeah, that, I think that's my my biggest challenge is I'll I will spend a week or two in Procreate and then I'll jump to Mushroom Ink and then I'll yeah. jump to pencil <laughs> right. and yeah. watercolor. Yeah, because originally I started I did something I did some other program Adobe Draw or Fresco I don't know I think it was a draw, and it was not nearly as sophisticated as Procreate. I immediately went back. So uh, I don't want to say I, I I thought Adobe Draw became Fresco. I think that's right. Yeah, and I I recently became interested in Fresco because I uh, as part of the Adobe Max conference I saw a demo mm -hmm. where somebody did animation because I've tried the animation in Procreate but then I saw them do animation in Fresco and it was like oh you can have you can have paths that you can draw and it was like oh wow this is I but I, I haven't gotten back to animation because there's much. so many things there's so yeah. many fun things I know and that, yeah again so yeah there's not enough time. But that's a good thing. I mean, you know, again, because I was bored. And now I have so many things I could do. Right. But I think the, the workflow is probably way easier now with Procreate, especially if you're looking at licensing, being able to bring that mm -hmm. stuff out of Procreate. Do you then bring it into Photoshop, do some work in there, and then is that kind of the workflow for the licensing stuff that you would be doing? Yeah. So right now, so I will, I will just airdrop it over to Photoshop, or you can put it in Dropbox. Um, but airdrop is, I'm airdropping all the time. So drop it into Photoshop and, um, I'll clean it up in there because it's great because the flower then is isolated. It's not really on the background because you're in licensing and you're providing artwork for manufacturers. 
they want it in layers. They want the flower separate from the background, the bee separate from the flower or whatever, so they can rearrange things as they need to. And when you do a painting of a flower on a background with a bee, you eventually have to go into Photoshop and cut it all out anyway. So here, if I do it in layers, if I do it in separate um, canvases, they're already separated. So, but still, there's always stray things. So you have a flower. And if I put a drop shadow on that flower in Photoshop, you immediately see, oh, there's a bunch of different like squiggles and stuff off to the side or the side. So we have to clean it up, clean it up a little bit. But I don't really, I don't want to adjust it. Um, I don't really adjust the colors or anything that much. And then I will figure out, you know, how to incorporate with maybe some other elements or with text or other backgrounds there. And I wanted to ask you, like you've done graphic design for 20 years and um, moving into the fine art and, and the licensing bit in the last few years. Like on a Saturday night, if you're just hanging out, glass of wine, hot chocolate, whatever, and you just want to sketch something, what are you pulling up to, to draw with? Uh, do you still do you still have a sketchbook that you sketch in, or is it is it the iPad? Like, wh- where's home for you now with with the work that you just want to get out of your head? The work I want to get out of my head. Well, it's the iPad. Um, I've never been a great sketchbook user, or it's just a piece of paper. A piece of paper, maybe I'll you know scribble something. But it's it's mainly the iPad. That's cool. And you're still thinking you got to get back to oils. You're still thinking. Yeah, that. I miss it. I miss the um, the physical feeling of it. I miss the color and the vibrancy. I miss the squishiness. <laughs> you know. Okay. You know. Yeah. The brushes. Is, my brushes have dust on them. For heaven's sake. <laughs> Is there? Uh, have you tried watercolor? I have never been a fan of watercolor. <laughs> um, I think I heard you talking about it one way too. Like, don't go that way. Don't go that way. There's le- less control. But no, I just, again, it's just like, it's too thin. It's it's not, there's not enough contrast. I'm sure you can get contrast, but it's just, and again, you really have to know what you're doing and put it down. And once it's down, it's done. You can't change it really, you know? So I don't mm-hmm. like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> and I think, again, I'm really into high contrast and a lot of color and a lot of drama and watercolor is softer, mostly, usually. I mean, there are artists out there who do all kind of wonderful, amazing things with it. Yeah, it is It is much harder. I keep struggling with it, but I just love the ability to be able to bring something out on the road that is mm. analog and produces color. And, uh, you know, gouache is always interesting as well for something mm-hmm. slightly more opaque, but... Um, and then you can go to the the, uh, the the ink tents from Derwent, which gives you a bit more vibrancy, but mm. um, and acts more like an oil when it dries because you can't really manipulate it afterwards. But then you have to go with a gouache on top if you want that uh, the whites and stuff back. But mm. um, it's good that you're. Tr- I, I I admire you for being focused on your mediums. I have that that problem where I wander quite a bit. Well, I shouldn't mm. say a problem. That's the way. Who, that's that's who I am. But the fact that you are, if I want to sit down and draw something, it's my iPad now. And that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, which is weird. Because again, I do have a short, I can have a short attention span. It takes me a while to like focus. But once I'm focused, man, like, wait, I have to make dinner? (laughs) (laughs) It's two o'clock in the morning. Uh oh. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can't stop. But and I, and I and I did try gouache once, and I it was fun. I liked it, but it drew, it dried so fast. So I don't think I could ever go back to acrylic. I, maybe, maybe, maybe. Again, if it's for commercial work, you kind of you have to get it done quickly. But I do love oil and just yeah. So I think there's quite a few artists out there who would be, you know, producing their own work, whether it's full time, part time, and thinking about licensing. 
uh, as an alternative for generating some revenue for yourself, what would you, would you, would there be any tips that you could provide to an artist who's thinking about moving into licensing? Is there like just even core bits, like learn Photoshop, like, is <laughs> what would you provide as advice for somebody who's thinking about licensing their art? Well, I do have to let you know that it, it's still new for me. Licensing, it took me a while to understand what it was. It's been around for a while, a couple of decades, but there are a lot of different ways to do it. And the biggest thing is that it takes a long time. Everything about it takes a long time. It's different in work for hire or, you know, working as a designer in a company where you're given a creative brief and you create something to solve a problem. You're really creating art first and you might think about what, you know, the market wants or what the trends are, but then you're trying to get people to basically buy it or license it from you. And that process takes a long time because they might, they're looking for different types of work at different times of year. So, you know, maybe in July, they're looking for only fall and harvest or Christmas themes, right? So you have to know what, you know, you might send them work, but they're not looking for that type of work for three months from now. And then when they see that work, then, you know, <laughs> they'll review it and send it around and, and then they'll get back to you in a few weeks and maybe want to tweak something or they want this or want that. And it takes a while to get a contract. And then once you do have a contract, and they do want your artwork and you send them the artwork. Um, they have to produce samples with the manufacturers. So it takes another few months. Once the samples are produced, then they they uh, there's a show in Atlanta, Home and Gift Show, where they show it, whereas where wholesale buyers come to decide what they want to put in their stores. So your artwork, you know, first goes to the manufacturer who decide, I want these 10 pieces. When they get samples made, hmm, those three pieces really don't look like we expect them to. So we're only going to send seven pieces to the show. Seven pieces are in the show, maybe five get picked up by you know a couple um companies or or stores then they go to those stores now, again this is months and months this takes 12 to 18 months <laughs> wow. to get the product in the store on the shelf that the buyer pays for pays the store the store after their quarter sends the cut to the manufacturer then after their quarter, they send the cut to you, your royalty. So it's a very lengthy process. However, when you license artwork, you retain the copyrights to your artwork. So you may not be allowed to use that hydrangea on a pillow with anybody else, any other manufacturer, but you could sell that same hydrangea to a, to a stationary company to produce on journal covers, right? So, and then, you know, gift bags. So you have three companies selling the same piece of artwork, for three years in various stores. So the idea is eventually the money starts trickling in. But it's what I have heard. Again, I haven't seen a penny yet. <laughs> and my process has been going on since last October. Um, but the art, you know, my pieces were in the Atlanta show in January. I don't know what stores will be carrying it, if any. I had about two dozen items, little trinket dishes and pillows and wall art and stuff like that. Um but you expect it'll be next year before. <laughs> yes. Um, so it won't be until the spring, I think, until I get a check. And I don't know how much it'll be. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's something that is supplemental. Now, some people do make quite a bit of money at it. But it's something that I think is slow growth. And I've been told this over and over again, again, again. You know, I'm still in the process. Um, I sent my high-resolution approved artwork under contract, you know, last October. 
and it's November the next year. And I've seen the product on the samples, which is really exciting. And hopefully I'll see them in a store somewhere or online. Um, but it is a long process. It's a long game. So, I mean, I really think you create the work you want to create. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you figure out what kind of avenues would be the best way to sell it. I chose art licensing because it really fits the kind of work I do and the work I'm confident about right now. Um, you know, realistic, decorative, beautiful artwork that would work well on home decor items or stationary products and things like that. And I like that. I can choose what I want to create and then propose it to a company. They may not, they may want to make changes or ask for something differently, but you know, I'm deciding what I want to create. And again, what I decide may not so well, <laughs> but right. I just think that's fun to do. But I also, you know, I'm look, I sick. Then I can sell it or retain the copyright. I can sell the print, a print of that flower to people if I want to myself, as long as they aren't selling the exact same type of product. Um, to their customers yeah so i think it's it's something that is a good supplemental it's something definitely to look into but it is there's a lot to understand a lot of people to get to know and, it, and it's a long process but it, it can be really fun because again it's just you know it's connected with people that just again make me feel alive and it's just really it's just a it's it's a it's a fun thing to do i just really enjoy it yeah that's something i'm gonna have to consider i think yeah i've never really pursued that but uh you know for most artists, having those multiple streams is always good, whether you make mm -hmm. a coloring book or sell prints or sell originals or, you know, NFTs or licensing, right. it's all revenue, right? There are so many ways and that's overwhelming. That's really overwhelming. And that's the thing too, like, you know, it's hard to do a lot of different things well, you know? So I think, you know, starting off with one avenue and, and figuring out if that's really what you want to do and if it works for you and, um, you know, building that up and trying a different income stream, you know, next. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to do while I run my graphic, you know, design business, my bread and butter. And, you know, hopefully I'm going to start scaling back on the graphic designer, combining it more with the, the fine art and change things. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I love your Instagram portfolio. I keep flipping through it as we're talking and <laughs> just, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I love the subject matter, but your work is, uh, is incredible. Now you talked about that this direction changed for you when you went to that oil painting course or workshop and it kind of stirred this emotion in you. Have you taught? Have you considered teaching? Would you? I've never felt like a teacher. I always feel like I don't know enough, <laughs> which is weird because again, I feel like I'm most, like my artwork and my graphic design work is, it's, the, the thing I'm most confident about in my life. Um, but I don't know, like I said, I, I kind of, I, I make things organically. I kind of like do things. I like to do things instinctively. So I think it'd be really hard for me to try to explain things to people. The only thing I think I would be interested in is maybe like one-on-one -on -one drawing classes, like tutor, you know, drawing classes with, you know, young preteens or teens, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think that would be kind of neat just to teach the basics of form and, line and negative space and value things like that and how to think creatively but yeah i don't see myself doing workshops or online classes or anything like that have you taught your son any drawing no but he know he's known how to um make a layout in design since he was five <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome 
because I worked from home and we had a bl- uh, two blizzards back to back in 2009. So he was five years old and there's only so many things you can do with a five-year-old at home, you know, when it's like too crazy to go outside. So I was like, okay, here, let me teach you how to how to use InDesign. So he's been, he's been a computer whiz too, but, um, and he has an eye, he has an eye for layout and stuff, but it's not really something he's into. They use his Canva for all his projects and they look great. Yeah. Like so, yeah, Canva is yeah. pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what is, uh, what does your son think of his mom and what she's me. doing? He doesn't tell me. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I, I feel I feel good about this path and what it, you know, is showing him. I know he follows me on Instagram and I can see he looks at my stories, but you know, I don't, <laughs> right. and he has a little, one of my little mini frame pieces on his desk and he's asked if he can get one for another, the new ones for his room. But you know, he, he's a teenage boy. I don't mm. really know. Yeah. It's even if he liked your stuff, it would probably wouldn't be cool to say it out loud. So <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was that age at one point, and um, yeah, it was uh, easier not to uh, to like the creative bits. So that's the path I was on. Um, it wasn't until I got older that I was able to liberate myself from that uh, that <laughs> that mindset. So now I wanted to ask you: Is there is there something you haven't done yet? Is there an unrealized dream that you have that uh, you want to pursue at some point? Because it's I'm just wondering that since you've transitioned to doing this fine art and, and work on Procreate, has this opened up to the thought that, huh, I could do this, maybe I could do something else. Is there something else you're thinking of pursuing at some point? Maybe getting back to oils, but beyond that? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, like I said, when I decided to get back into art and like figure out what's happening out there, because I didn't know what was going on, one of the podcasts I started listening to was, originally it was called um, Art and Cocktails, which is now Create by Ekaterina Pospova. She has Create Magazine. and um, I don't know. She had an episode about like writing out your goals, right? Your lists as an artist. And, and again, being in an art podcast was one of them. And I found her through the Jealous Curator, which also is another woman who was in graphic design for 20 years and re- rediscovered her love for art. Um, and I wrote some of the other goals. Um, I've always wanted to have um, a gallery show, a single person, you know, a solo show. And I've had a couple oils in, in local. We have some galleries here and shows. And then I've also had my two digital pieces now in a show. But it's kind of funny. Like, I'm not sure how the, what the art world thinks of digital work, which I think is, I think it, I think they think different things. Because, um, I mean, it's photography is digital, too. Like, people put in altered ph- photographs. Why can't I have a Procreate drawing? You know, and mm-hmm. I do it all by hand. I'm not cheating by any way. But um, so I don't now I don't know if I'd want to do like digital drawings and kind of shake up the I don't know or not shake up the art world but you know try to push it because some people are like only traditional media accepted some of the shows that I see right um but I would love to have a solo show whether it be on oils or or digital because I just that's just something I dreamed of when I was a kid you know with the white walls I mean this cute little dress and heels and I can't wear heels anymore but um yeah so that's one thing and then. When I started thinking about, like, what am I going to do once a kid moves out and everything? And because yeah, I'm by myself pretty much all the time, I work from home, so I'm here by myself. And so it's an effort to get out and see people and stuff. I have to make an effort to do that. And I would love to start traveling uh, again because it it's just not been something I could really spend the money on. And I started learning about artist residencies. 
I thought, oh my gosh, that's a way to like afford travel because they, I don't think they necessarily pay you, but it's a reduced fee to travel. And there's so many different kinds. So I thought that would be really cool. Like that'd be really cool. Like what I could do as, you know, quote retirement or whatever is, you know, do these art residencies and go to these different countries and be with other artists and draw and paint and see the world. I mean, that's just like a fantasy. Of course, I am a homebody too, and I miss my cats. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, that's just that sounds like that sounds really fun. I mean, these are you know big picture goals. But yeah, and also, but smaller picture. I want my artwork on puzzles. <laughs> I love oh, puzzling. Cool. I wouldn't touch puzzles for decades again because, like, if I see a puzzle, I will sit down at that table and I won't talk to a single soul for hours until it's done. So I would never keep them in the house because I want to get everything else done. But again, once the pandemic hit, all right, I'm going to get some puzzles and that's all I would do. And you really have this intimate relationship with the artwork on the puzzle. And I always want puzzles that have beautiful artwork or beautiful pictures on them because mm. you're spending hours staring at it, right? Matching little pieces. And when I did art, when I did a puzzle with artwork on it, you're really seeing the art. You know, you're really seeing the line and the value. And again, it's just like this... I don't know. It's like the most intimate relationship you can have with art. I think you're taking it apart and putting it together. And I think that would be really fun because it's something I've always loved. And, and, but my artwork doesn't quite fit yet. So I had to figure out how I'd want to make my artwork fit to work as a puzzle. Um, so I think that would be really fun too. And I didn't even have that aha moment until I saw an artwork by an illustrator. I follow on Instagram on a puzzle. I was like, wait, Oh my gosh, (laughs) that's art licensing. I was like, that's what I want to do. So that's something I want to do more short, short term. And then I could get like, you can, um, there, you know, um, print on demand POD sites so you can get your artwork done and get it, but I would love to have it licensed. So it's out there and you can go to Barnes and Noble and pick it up or, or, you know, one of the stores and, and, and anyone can, can grab it. That would be cool. That's I never yeah. thought about that. I just had an aha moment as well, thinking, "Oh, I wonder what work I've done that I could put on a puzzle." So, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I, I asked my some of my guests this question. I'm just curious what your response would be if you had a chance to have lunch with a fictional person. Who would that be? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I always thought Sherlock Holmes, but I think my head went to John Luke Picard. Um, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> maybe not him but maybe somebody from star trek probably yeah that's <laughs> I awesome don't know. i mean that's just a knee-jerk reaction i'm surprised by him but yeah or wesley crusher my teenage self would want to would want to have yeah and why is that just to talk about the future or yeah maybe yeah i mean i again that's why i love sci-fi and i'm i'm like i'm um I'm picky about my sci-fi. It has to be futuristic sci-fi. Well, or post-apocalyptic, of course. But I like the idea of where, you know, our society goes. I mean, even socially, um, but technically, too. It's just amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, when John Luke Picard would hand his iPad to Riker, I'm like, that's what an iPad, what you see, that's what it is. That's what it became. So it's really cool how fiction influences what we actually design. I mean, I think a lot of things from the arts Arthur C. Clarke novels, you know, kind of came to be. And yeah, so I find the future fascinating. Yeah. And maybe now with the foundation on Apple TV, that maybe that's going to inspire a whole new generation of designers, right? So, well, there's more Star Trek's coming too. There's like yes. two new series coming. Yeah. Right. So, super stoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> I always get to this point. 
in the podcast where I'd like the guests to have a little bit of homework to think about, something to do, something to to bring them beyond our conversation. So I'm wondering, Stephanie, what you would recommend as a bit of homework for the listener. Yeah, I had a hard time like putting this into words, but I think it's again more of a mindset thing. Sure. So, and I know you have some kid listeners too, but probably more teens. Um, but I think mm-hmm. I think back to something that you used to do as a kid, little kid, teenager, whatever you really enjoyed that you just would get lost in something creative, whether it was you know playing in the mud or make you're making you know dresses for your dolls or houses for whatever to knock over with your trucks, whatever, whatever you did. Just think about that and and maybe try to do it again, (laughs) do it again. And then think about what it is, like, what is it, what is it about it that you really loved and what, how could you bring in something similar into, into your life now um, or into your career? It doesn't have to be something that you share with anyone. Um, Just something that, again, just makes you feel kind of giddy and excited and, and try it again and try, you know, and see like, Again, how you can transform whatever that thing is into an activity you could do now, you know, to reunite that, that love and that joy. That's a really good idea. I keep saying I haven't been to a restaurant since COVID started. Oh my God. I, I've, I've gone to take, take up, but I haven't sat down in a restaurant. Uh-huh. And I keep saying that when I do that, the restaurant I'm going to go to is going to have children's menus with crayons. Oh, um, yeah. because I, I think on your point, if you drew a lot with crayons, maybe maybe the simple thing would be go to a restaurant that has a children's menu with crayons and draw with crayons. Be four adults at the table, everybody draw with crayons. Choose a, <laughs> create your own little um, prompt list, whatever the case. Uh, but you know, and some people, it may have been paper mache, to your point, you know, it may be that's what you did. I remember when I was a kid, uh, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, I, I used to do art where I would take an eggshell, you blow at the center, oh basically like an like a, an Easter event, right? Uh, and paint the outside of the eggshell, and then you would mm-hmm. smash it to pieces. And then you would take oh. those eggshell bits, and you would basically do like a collage, I guess. You would, a you mosaic. Know, put, a mosaic. You would put yeah, glue yeah. on paper and you'd drop down the bits and you would have you know, your various colors. I remember I did a clown that way. And um, I, I, I want to do that again. So it's really, I think that's really timely that you bring that up because I think as adults, part of what we, I, I think, need to do is rediscover that which brought us joy, where we didn't think about, can I make money at this? Um, is anyone going to approve of this? At some point, we get to the point where somebody's approval or disapproval, you know, pr- provides those little barriers for us and th- those those directions along the way. But back then, you just do what was fun. So mm-hmm. puzzles is great. Doing a puzzles something yeah. we did a lot. Of yep. <laughs> but I really like that idea. I think that you know, it's not just when I ask about homework. It's not just the technical skills. It is the mindset and being able mm-hmm. to have that curiosity and that intention but address it as an adult i think is exciting for us so i think it's a really good idea yeah because you never know what might come up because you i think because you let go you you just i don't know you tap into this place you know your wonder Mm. or whatever and and something might come up you might have an aha moment which are the best you know or you might just have a lot of fun yeah exactly that's cool 
So Stephanie, uh, where can people find you online? What's the best place to, uh, to find you? Um, I do love Instagram. I do stories more than posts because posts are permanent and I, you know, I have to think them through <laughs> and say something meaningful. Um, but so that's stephaniedarlene.art. Uh, and then I have a website, stephaniedarlene.com. And Facebook page too, but it's pretty much the same thing as Instagram. That's cool. Those are two places. So I'm going to provide links to all of that in the show notes. I'm going to provide link to your um, portfolio as well, the PDF, which I think is brilliant. And uh, so we'll include all that in the in the show notes. And so I wanted to thank you so much for for coming on the show and uh, agreeing to do this. I, I really I, I I got so much out of this. I feel inspired um, to try a few new things. And be able to connect with another artist who's, you know, found a redirection later in life, being able to pull back to something you started when you were quite young and then uh, back to your fine arts degree, I think is brilliant. And uh, I think people should check out your work, giving the opportunity for you to share your story. I think it's always exciting for me as well. So thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's totally an honor. I mean, there's nothing I love more than talking about art, listening about art. It's just, again, I feel alive again. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're able to share that with us. It was You could hear it in your voice, and <laughs> I, I appreciate your time in doing this. And uh, uh, this was great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Okay, have a good one. You too. Show notes, including links to everything Stephanie and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 66. This also includes all the links to her site, her Instagram, as well as her Facebook If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. (laughs) 